Hello, everyone. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Alric Brissell. Each week, we discuss a different filmmaking topic and give you our point of view, not because we're experts, but just because we're two filmmakers trying to figure it all out. And here we are, sharing more stuff with you. Last night, I got a call from the writer of Haunted Toy House, and he wanted to send out the script to somebody. Oh, yeah. His, I guess his manager asked if she could send it out. And I looked up the company, and they're like a direct-to-consumer production company. I guess they have like some deal with Vimeo. And I never even considered this as an option. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens with it. It, it could be a, a total dead end. I mean, it's just right now, they just want to read it. But... Let's say it does become like a real thing, and this is just like a, a production company that does straight to Vimeo movies. Am I interested in that? Straight to Vimeo? <laughs> I Are guess. Are you? I mean, right? I guess it's the other crazy. question is like, what what does it um, what does it mean for the movie later? Does it go to? Can it also be on Netflix? Can it also be on Amazon Prime, or is it only on Vimeo? I don't know. And this is what's interesting about this whole thing is I never even knew this world existed. I didn't know that. I guess it makes sense, right? It's just kind of like direct to Netflix or direct to Amazon. Um, did uh, Netflix just finished a feature film, right? And they played it theatrically for like a week, but people could also watch it on Netflix at the same time. It went on. Yes, it went on Netflix first and then it was in theaters the week after. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was listening to the business and they were talking about how that whole thing could just be a ploy for Netflix to be nominated for an Academy Award or at least be, you know, eligible for an Academy Award. So it's interesting, this whole like I'm always of the mind like, oh, I'm making a movie that gets a theatrical release that then goes to all these other platforms. But we live in a world now where it could be the total opposite. Yeah. It can never even play in a theater. Which I kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, I basically have, you know, been thinking that if my movie doesn't get a theatrical, that's not a big deal. You know, I mean, I know it's it's a theatricals are a big deal because like the investors like to see that a movie played in the theater. This is what I've heard, at least. And that like, mm-hmm. you know, you want to be up for Oscar consideration and you need to have a theatrical for that, you know. But uh, I mean, I'm not really that worried about that. I'd rather just you know, get it out into a way where people can see it. And I think, you know, the place where people can see it is, you know, on on-demand video or uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime, you know. And so if it's on Vimeo, pay, pay Vimeo, because I've just seen this. This is like brand new, I think. Wait, they have pay Vimeo? Yeah, this is like new within a year, I think, maybe, or a year and a half. But like... You can go on Vimeo and maybe it's maybe it's longer than that, I don't know. But anyways, it's, it's relatively new and you pay like $2, $3 to watch a, a movie on Vimeo or something. So this is what this would be. You'd be like making a movie that would like be on Vimeo that people would probably pay uh, a couple bucks or uh, who knows how much to, to watch. That is so bizarre. I mean, audiences are so fragmented now that this is kind of the way things are going probably especially with genre films yeah but but i would basically say like dude if if they're gonna put it not on only vimeo if it's gonna go to like hulu vimeo uh amazon netflix all those services i say hell yeah dude that's great yeah i mean my my gut reaction when i kind of read about this production company and saw their direct-to-consumer was like that sounds a lot like direct-to-video i was like duh (laughs) That sucks. But then I was like, but then again, I just been talking for like 20 episodes about how I just need to like take the first feature film that comes my way and use that as like a stepping stone. Yeah, it'll be interesting. If anything happens with this, I'm so curious to find out a few things. Uh, If how much money that they have to produce feature films, because this script was always written around one to two million dollars. Right. I doubt that that's the budgets that they're working in at this point. And then the other thing is, it seems like they're really going after um, kind of the online celebrities. So anybody with like a huge YouTube following Mm -hmm. or like a big Twitter following, which I don't have. So I wonder if if they do want to talk to us about the, the creative aspect of the script, if we have enough clout as online people to even get something made through them. 
it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. They'll want you to like have it star like some YouTube sensation or something, you know? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a whole whole other world I had never even considered in my head. Yeah, I mean, I think you should explore all options. You know, I think that's yeah, that's really sure. exciting. Um, I don't know. I just feel like you know, on, uh, video on demand, uh, streaming video, like that's where movies are going to be seen in the future. And to think that as a first time filmmaker, you're going to get a theatrical release for your first movie is uh, not really realistic, you know? I mean, maybe you will, but I think more likely it'll be like, it'll play some <laughs> festivals, and then if it gets on right. Netflix or Amazon and gets a distribution deal, you'll be, like, super stoked, you know? Because uh, a lot of people don't even get that, you know? Like, my, my yeah. buddy, he didn't even get on Netflix with his movie, you know? And so it's like, that's not even a guarantee anymore. You know, you got to just look at it in a different way than the old, old way of looking at things. Yeah, that's, that's kind of hard because, again, going back to our, like what our dreams are, like it's hard to get rid of that dream in your head of what, what the success looks like. Well, that's what the film festival is for. You know, you go to a film festival, see it on a big screen. That's like your theatrical. And then, you know, right. it gets distribution, you know, it gets put online and hopefully you get enough, uh, you know, good response, good reviews, enough views that um, somebody, make another one. somebody wants to make, yeah, hire you yeah. to do another one or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of views, we've had um, <laughs> over my dead body up for a week now. Let's see what the current count is. As of last night, I think it was close to 9,000. 900. Uh, 9,000. I, I wish it was 9,000. I wish, dude. I wish it was 9,000. That just shows you where my head's at. I'm like, <laughs> we should be, we should have 9,000 by now. Yeah. So... You know, when we when we put a 918 as, as of recording this, when we right before we put it online, you and I had texted and I said, well, I'm not feeling that confident that it's going to do great. You were feeling really confident that it was. Yeah. I don't know at this point if this is kind of where I thought it would be. I guess I was hoping that I was going to be wrong. I was hoping that somehow I'd be proved wrong. Now, now that I'm right, I'm like, damn it, why am I right? I don't want to be right. <laughs> why are you right? You shouldn't be right. But you should be wrong. <laughs> I think this kind of fits into where we're headed with this episode today is like, who cares what you have to say? And that's a little of what I'm feeling now is that because it doesn't have a ton of views is I'm feeling like people don't care about the style of film that I want to make. And this is this definitely fits into everything else that I've done before. And I just wonder if, you know, why people aren't watching it. Is it that they don't like the keyframe image we chose? Is it that they don't like the premise of the film because it's romance and zombies mixed together? Is it just that people aren't passing it around? They watch it and they're like, that was cool. But then they're not passing it. Like, I'm, I would love to be able to dissect why this doesn't have more views on it and just have an answer. It's kind of driving me nuts that we don't have an answer. Yeah. I don't know. What do you I think? was, I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm trying to figure out why it didn't do well. Cause I thought like, honestly, like I was like, yeah, it'll do like 5,000 hits the first day, like easy, like no problem. That's like kind of what was going through my head. And <laughs> yeah. then, uh, you know, that didn't happen. Um, and then it's really funny. Like in my head, I had an idea of what strange thing did its first day and then after, uh, which way, what did you tell me what you thought strange thing did in its first day? I think I, th I told you, I thought it did like a thousand or something in its first day. And yeah. then I went back and I looked and it only did like 245, which is like almost exactly the same that, um, over my dead body did. But then strange thing, like kind of went up, like it did, I think 600 the next day and then 800 the next day. That's right. And then it fell off and did like another 200. And they did a hundred and then it did 200 again. And then the, that day after that is when I had my huge article and it blew up and it did like 12,000. Our film didn't track the same, which was kind of perplexing to me, you know? Yeah. Like day one, it was like the highest number of views. And then the, the chart kind of the graph started to go down. Yeah. <laughs> and then it came back up for Halloween, but not as big as the first, like the first day is still the most amount of views that we got. Right. So to me, what it shows is that people watched on the first day, like all of our friends and family that were kind of waiting for our fans, and then uh, people just didn't pass it around. 
and it just kind of fell off. And then it hit like a few of the bigger blogs, websites, like Ain't It Cool News, and more people came and watched it, but nobody passed it around. So it's, it wasn't compelling enough, or it wasn't uh, didn't have the viral component where people were like, I got to share this with somebody. I think they just thought, oh, this is a cool movie. I liked it. But people were sharing it. It had 220 shares. That's know? also, yeah, that's right. Which that's is crazy. Blows my mind because I didn't have that many shares on Strange Thing. I think I maybe had 100, maybe. You know, yeah. and uh, I just, I just don't, under, I just don't understand it because, like, the the metrics and the feedback that we've gotten on Over My Dead Body is as good or even better. I would say it's better than Strange Thing, and we're getting less views. And I just, I don't know why. You know, maybe it's because <laughs> in my still image, I showed a monster, and that monster was enough to get people to watch it. I, I, I don't know. You know, well, and also you had all those festival laurel leaves on it. Maybe that had something to do with it. I think that maybe it's not the the laurels themselves, but it was um, the film festival networks that I sent it to because every film festival I played at, I uh, sent it to them on the day it released or the day before and asked if they would put it on their website and everybody did. And some didn't do it on the exact same day, but some did it like throughout the week. And I think having access to that network of people who follow those film festivals, I think that was really important. I mean, it must be right. Like, I don't know what else it could be, you know? Yeah. I don't know. And then the other thing I'm thinking about is, are we going after the wrong audience? Like maybe because we went after like the zombie and horror audience for Halloween and it's not really scary or gruesome that maybe didn't really have this, the traction that it needs. So then I'm wondering, should we reach out to people that specialize more in comedies or people who are more into romance or people who are more into like kind of 80s throwback and see if maybe there's a different audience that it'll gain traction with? Yeah, maybe 80s throwback. That 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 might help, you know. Um, my mom made a comment. She was just saying that, you know, since it was Halloween when it came out, Maybe there was just so many Halloween things to watch that ours just flew under the radar and no one cared because there's already too many Halloween things going on. I don't know. But that doesn't really make sense to me. It feels like it should be more popular. Well, it just goes to show we know we know nothing. Yeah, but I mean, we thought Halloween would be the great time, the best time to release it because that's when everyone would be wanting to see a zombie movie, you know? And even yeah. the people who wrote about it were like, you know, scary, gruesome, over-the-top movies for Halloween. Watch this one. This one's a nice, fresh uh, breath of fresh air, you know? So it did play into our favor a lot, but, I mean, it just didn't capitalize it on did views. It did for the people, but that's like a, that's a critic or that's a blogger that's watching the movie to kind of see if they want to blog about it. But then the person reading that article has to be like, oh, I'm in the mood to see something funny. And people reading it could have just been like, ah, I don't know if I really want to see anything funny. Like, who knows if it translated? Because that's, I think that there's a difference. There's and there's a divide between the person writing about it and the audience. That's true. I just wonder if, like, even just the keyframes weren't enough to drag people in and there and make them interested in watching it. Who knows? Yeah, that makes me really nervous for Brother because I think my keyframe that I used for a strange thing was really tantalizing and I don't have, I I don't want to use as tantalizing of a keyframe for for Brother because I don't want to give away anything and in Strange Thing, I basically just gave up. I was like, you know what? I I, I mean, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to keep it secret. I'm just going to. I'm just going to show my money shot in the still frame because that's going to get people to watch it. And it did, but I don't want to do that with brother. Like I can't, I can't give my money shot away, but maybe I'll change my mind. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess you don't know when you're going to release it yet. Do you? I mean, I'm waiting to hear back from film festivals. I just submitted to South by Southwest yesterday. It's like, it's like, yeah, that feels like, oh yeah, that's a possibility. But another part of me is like, you know what, what are you even doing? Like, there's no way it's going to get into South by Southwest. Are you kidding yourself? Really? I'm kind of worried, Ulrich, that after all these episodes of talking to me that you're becoming more and more pessimistic. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think... I think I just need to keep on, keep on pushing it, man. And, you know, whatever happens, if I don't get into any of the film festivals I submitted to, if they all reject me like the, like the other ones did, I'm basically just gonna, um, 
just do my own release. Just like do a big premiere event either in New York or Atlanta or maybe even here. And then just do a bunch of press around that event and then release the movie uh, the next day. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote down uh, a quote from David Fincher, but I actually have another one I want to uh, read from Eli Roth in a okay at the in a Rolling Stone interview about his movie Green Inferno. He says, "You don't make movies like the kind that I make to be universally loved. You make them because you want to provoke and you want a reaction. The best thing that people can say is, I couldn't watch it, or I watched it with my eyes closed." If I've done my job as a director, nobody can actually watch your movie. They're watching from the inside of their hand. You don't want people walking out of the movie. You want them running out of the theater screaming. When that happens, that's like a standing ovation for me. I was wondering what you thought, think about that. I don't know what I think about that. Like, I, I, I mean, I get what he's saying. Like, he wants to be shocking and he wants people to have a, like a really strong reaction to his movies. And I definitely think that too. Like, if if everyone just says it's okay, like that's like the worst insult. Like, I'd rather have people love it and hate it <laughs> than to just be like, "Well, oh, that yeah. was cool." Like, I'd rather like in, you know incite some sort of emotion. Um, but I don't really think I want people like not to watch my movie or not able to watch it. You know, like I don't like the idea of it being so horrifying or so grotesque that they can't even keep their eyes on it. You know, I don't know if that's the kind of movie I want to make, but I mean, I get what he's saying. Like the whole idea of making a strong statement. I think that's important, but I don't know if I really want my audience running from the theater. <laughs> you know, what, what about you? Well, I feel like the, I have a few feelings about, it. I mean, my gut reaction is just like, this is the cheap way out. Mm. Cause I've, see, I'm trying to remember like who I've heard this from. This reminds me of sentiments I've heard from like artists, like graffiti artists are like, oh, if I make people angry, it's better that people are angry at my art than indifferent. And it's almost kind of like that's, it's easy to make people disgusted or get a reaction from them. But controlling the reaction, I think, is where the the art comes into it. Like, that's definitely not what I want to do. I don't want to just provoke a reaction from the audience just to provoke it, especially like a negative reaction. It just doesn't seem like that's something I want to put out in the world. That's, yeah. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't really understand that point of view, but I've definitely heard it a lot, especially from people in like art school and when I was going to college. It's just something I don't really relate to, but it, it's out there. This is what some people want to do. Yeah, but I mean, I think this is more from the coming from the perspective of a horror filmmaker, you know, like somebody who's trying to scare their audience and, you know, they want their audience to be terrified or whatever. I'm all for scaring people and I'm all for thrills, but I, I, I'm more interested in trying to make the audience like re-examine things in, in a new way or think about life in a different way or, or leave the theater thinking and questioning rather than being so scared and they can't even sleep, you know, like I don't want to ruin anyone's day, you know, I'm just trying to inspire some sort of reaction, but like definitely I don't want them to be so repulsed by what I did that they can't even watch it. That just seems, that seems like I, I've pushed it too far if, if they're, if it's getting to that point. It sounds like it's the difference between a visceral reaction and an intellectual reaction. And uh, to me, this kind of like visceral reaction and getting people just to like react without even thinking about it uh, is different from what you and I want to do, which is, yeah, get people to think or get people to feel in like a different way. Like it's, I don't know. That's a different kind of reaction, I guess. I'm all for visceral reaction too. I think it's fun, but I, I just, I don't wouldn't want, I mean, what he's describing sounds a little outlandish to me, I guess. <laughs> well, I guess the green Inferno didn't do so well. I think he's defending it a little bit. Oh, really? Did it not do well yeah. because it was too, like too hard to watch or something or. Yeah. I think critics said like, uh, one of the reviews that I read just said, it's kind of challenges the viewer to sit through it. Um, and for some audiences, that'll be great. And if you're that audience, you know who you are. But it's not like a universal horror movie. It's, you know, it's sort of like, I haven't seen it, but Human Centipede. Mm -hmm. I it sound, sound, When people describe that movie to me, it just sounds like the only reason you watch it is like for the gross out factor of it. Right. Like that. Beyond that, it's not like the most compelling story. Like. Green Inferno is just about cannibalistic tribe in Peru eating the, these 
like backpackers beyond that premise. It's not, it's not going to do much. So it's more about like you challenging yourself to go watch this disgusting thing. Yeah. I guess I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's, there's a place for that. And I mean, I definitely have been interested in those type of movies before, but I, I definitely haven't really watched a lot of them. Like, I don't really know much about Green Inferno, but it sounds like they're trying to do the same kind of thing that like a movie like Cannibal Holocaust did, where they just went balls to the walls and just pushed the limits, you know, just for fun. Yeah, I think so. I, have anything else to say? You want to move on to the topic of the I week? I think last week we talked about having a strong point of view. Actually, we talk about this a lot. Having a strong point of view as a filmmaker is a way to like stand out. And then in trying to figure out what we were going to talk about this week, we were like, well, okay, that's the, that's the step that you need to take as a filmmaker. And then the next step is like, who cares? Like, why, why does anyone care what you have to say? Or why does anyone care about your point of view? And I, I think one of the questions I'd like to ask is, is that something that filmmakers should even worry about? I mean, what we're essentially asking is who is your audience? Who cares about what you have to say, right? Yeah. Do you need to think about this? Or is it more about curating a point of view and then just kind of pushing forward with it? Because I've, I've also heard like filmmakers talk about, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was recently. I heard an interview with the filmmaker that was just grinding under the radar, making feature films for years and years and years, and nobody cared about what he was doing. And then all of a sudden, like the... Um, the tide of culture like had turned all the way around and his movies became like in fashion again, mm. even though like no one cared about what he was doing. So he was kind of like, yeah, if you just keep sticking with your vision and keep doing it, eventually people will come around to you. Yeah. That's a really tough question to answer for me because like, you know, having your own strong point of view is really important. And I think in the beginning, the audience that you're trying to shoot for is yourself. So like if you're, making something that you love and that you want to see, like that's a a really good place to start. But like, do you have to think about who your audience is and like who you're making your movie for? If like, does that come into play? I I mean, like it's like, yes and no. Like, you know, I think in some ways you should be thinking about your audience because at least in the sense of genre, like what genre is this, you know, like where does this fit, you know, and then being true to that genre, I think is important, you know, even if it is a genre mashup, like if you're trying to mash up like, you know, uh, comedy and horror or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I think if you're true to both of those genres, Mm -hmm. I think that, I think it's important because if you're, if you're too ambiguous, then people won't know what they're watching and they'll get confused. But I think if you're like, whatever you're doing, if it has purpose and you're like trying to, you know, fulfill on some sort of anticipate like whatever you're whatever you're setting up like you're fulfilling on i think that's kind of important so if you're setting it up as a horror movie but then you fulfill it as a comedy i mean i don't know that might not work (laughs) yeah i think i know what you're saying is like if you're okay so let's say you want to be smart and you want to do something that's never been done before and you are kind of mashing up two genres. I mean, horror comedy has been done before. Like what, uh, what other kind of genre would it be? Like horror mixed with um, say fantasy, sci-fi. Like mumblecore. Horror has been mixed with everything. What's that? Oh, mumblecore. Oh, like a okay. mumblecore horror film. <laughs> okay. like, I think that would be a, genre, a mashup that no one's seen before. But how would you even do that? Well, I've been watching a lot of horror movies lately, and it's kind of interesting how they all pretty much start out as dramas. Right. And then all of a sudden, some weird thing gets thrown into it. Like, I was just watching uh, Child's Play again. And the beginning of that movie, except for the opening scene where Charles Lee Ray goes into the doll, there's like this whole drama between like this boy and his mom and how he just wants a good guy's doll. And then as soon as he gets the good guy's doll and it's possessed, then the movie changes and it becomes a horror movie. But up until that point, it's a drama. But yeah, so let's say you're trying to be ambitious and you're, you're trying to, to mix those two genres together. That's where who cares comes into play because the mumblecore audience and the horror audience don't have a lot of overlap. (laughs) So yeah, true. So if, if you don't know a lot about horror and you're coming at it from the mumblecore angle, you're going to have a hard time getting the horror people on board 
unless that movie's offering something new to the horror genre. It's obviously offering something new to the mumblecore genre, but do mumblecore people fans care about it? Yeah. And so I think you do have to kind of think about it in a little way because um, once the movie's done and you're marketing to those people, let's say that th- th- that's your audience, how do you convince them that what your movie is important to their group, that it offers something new? And especially with horror, because so many horror movies have been made and the kind of techniques have been used that, you know, like the cat jumping out of the closet thing. Like when you see that now, you just kind of roll your eyes. So you have to be an expert in some ways in both genres to make sure that you're delivering on the expectations of both those audiences. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I think it takes a lot of studying to figure out those things, you know, like especially in the horror genre, like you need to like watch a ton of horror movies and a ton of recent horror movies to like figure out what's missing or what what you should and shouldn't do. I've just been thinking about this whole thing that I think we've all heard is just make the movie that you want to make. And if you're true to your own vision, <laughs> then your audience will come. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very like popular romantic idea in, in writing and in, in art and filmmaking in general is this whole idea that if you just create something that's good and that you have a clearer vision for it and like you're thrilled by it, then you're going to find your audience. And I think... There's some truth to that, but I think, you know, I don't know. I'm dealing with this right now with with a writer and it's like, you need to stay true to the genre in some way. Like you can't just be putting in whatever you want into a movie because people are going to get confused and lost and lose interest if there's not some sort of consistency within the story the uh, of tone, you know, if you're just like jumping to other characters and to other things that don't tie into the overall, like, you know, like if they're not fulfilling on the genre that you that you're trying to make, then you're gonna lose like almost your whole audience. But at the other hand, it's like, well, maybe this is the story that you want to tell, and this is what's important to you as as an artist. So, of course, there's an audience out there because if you like it so much, everyone else will, else will like it. But well, we kind of talked about this w- with Andrew and his movie, and yeah. how he he tried something so fresh and new, and it sounds like. The bloggers, he said, he, the bloggers liked it, but the audience didn't. So you could also, I mean, look at Orson Welles when he made Citizen Kane. That was a huge flop. People didn't really get it. Oh, right? yeah. You could, I guess you can make something ahead of its time, too. I don't know if there's a really clear answer to this. I think you have to kind of decide for yourself. But, you know, define what your goals are. If your goal is just to make the movie that you really want to make and go all Citizen Kane on it. And just be like, well, people don't get it. They don't get it. And that's the movie I wanted to make. And that's the movie I want to make. Then great. That might be the only movie you ever make. But if you're thinking it from a career perspective, I think it's smart to think about how it's going to be perceived by audiences who who does care about it. But yeah, it's hard because I, I hate sitting around thinking about who cares what I have to say because it's a, a tough question to answer. I don't know who cares what I have to say. I know I'm going to try it right now to kind of define my point of view as a filmmaker what I what I'm trying to do is I want to tell emotional stories like to me E.T. is the best movie ever made I want to do those kind of movies like that that blend big ideas and visual effects with like emotional storytelling like I remember crying at that movie being scared in that movie feeling happy in that movie like that movie just runs the gamut of emotions and it worked really well for me and that's always something i'm trying to do like i don't i don't want something that's just kind of a flat line of emotion i want like big swings of emotion and so i'm always kind of looking for that in a script Mm -hmm. but at the same time i'm not sure if that's really something that people even care about right now in in the world and especially after putting over my dead body out there which I think has a lot of those elements in it. It just makes me wonder, is like, do I even have an audience? I'm not sure yet. Saying you want to make emotional movies is kind of a really broad thing to say, you know? Like, there's yeah. a lot of different types of emotional movies, you know? And I think people always want something that's emotional. That's what everyone's looking for. I think they want they want to be thrilled. They want to to be scared. They want to be sad. They want to be happy. You know, they want they want the big swings. They want the ups and downs, you know? Um I just think that the 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 challenge is 
surprising the audience with those things and not making it seem like, mm-hmm. oh, here we go. All right. right. Now I'm supposed not to be really sad. Now I'm supposed to be really happy. Like, I think you need to make people really <laughs> right. care about your characters. And then as you put your characters through the different trials and tribulations, the audience will experience the emotions that the characters are experiencing. So I think it really comes mm-hmm. down to just creating really cool, relatable characters. And then, making sure that what they're what they're going through is engaging and exciting and actually thrilling you know and that, like you know if you just watch them be like you know making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for 3 minutes like <laughs> no one's going to care about that you know like you need to make sure that everything that you're putting up on screen you know ties back to the story and you know is providing that adventure that the audience wants you know or whatever yeah, type of genre that- it is Right, and that all makes sense to me. I think what what I mean by it is, by my point of view is like how I come at material. So like I'm coming at it and I'm looking like, can I get any emotion out of this? Like, can I do I feel anything when I when I read this script? Uh, am I going to be able to make? Am I going to be able to use the actors and the camera in a way that are going to make an audience feel anything? Because mm-hmm. there's definitely stories and scripts that I've written that have like nothing in them. I just don't feel it. They just feel shallow to me. So I'm like looking for some sort of emotional depth. So yeah, emotion is a very broad category. But I look at Steven Spielberg's career and he's made all types of genres of movies. I mean, Jaws is a horror movie, and then you have E.T., which is a sci-fi family movie, and then you have Schindler's List, which is a heavy drama. So to me, he does the similar thing to what I do, is he comes at the material looking for an emotional power in it. So that's why it is pretty broad, because I am kind of genre-less. I love all sorts of genres, and I, I think I can play in any one of them. Well, talk more about, like, your point of view though because to say that like you know you want to come at anything with like from the emotional standpoint and that you're just trying to find the the emotional impact in every story you know across all genres that doesn't really to me necessarily speak to your point of view per se you know like like what is your point of view as a filmmaker like like what kind of message or messages are you trying to get out into the world I think that's hard to say because sometimes you don't even know how all your your ideas overlap and somebody yeah. else has to come in and tell you it's like you're just attracted to things like you're you want to tell certain types of stories and sometimes you don't even know why. Yeah. But all I know is when I look at material or when I'm putting the material together like I'm always thinking about does this have some sort of like human emotional component to it? Right, right, right. That's that makes it. Sense. I mean, I can't really, I, I couldn't tell you like point of view. Like if you look at all my movies, what connects them all? I think I have, I have some ideas about it. I mean, a lot about loneliness and, and being alone in the universe or just being alone in life, um, finding your place. Those are a lot of the things that I'm kind of dealing with. Hmm. But that's not why I choose material. That just happens to be the kind of things that I'm attracted to that I only realize after I've already made it. That's interesting because it's it's funny. It's like I think a lot of people would listen to this and say, well, I want to make movies that uh, have some sort of emotional impact, too. And that starts with, uh, you know, human emotion and human reactions you know based on some sort of emotional component like i think everyone would be like yeah me too yeah (laughs) you and every other filmmaker in the world you know um but i mean i think at the same time like that i think that is a valid explanation of your point of view that you know the human emotion is important to you because if you strip that down to the basic core of things it, it can look different than i think what a lot of people's um, overall term would be or understanding of that kind of concept. Well, I I want you to help me define my point of view then, because apparently I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know. I think that you did a pretty good job. I had a little bit of this conversation, I think with Alex Kellerman over email, because he was getting a little frustrated, like in talking to people about what his, what kind of movies he wants to make. And he's just kind of like, well, I don't really have a genre that I like to play in. And, like the, it seemed like people were looking down on me for not having a genre to play in. And I was like, yeah, I don't think it matters, but I think you do need to kind of be able to describe to people what kind of movies you want to make. And 
Yeah, like how do you do that? I mean, you're totally right. Like if all you say is like, oh, I want to make movies with like with real characters that have human emotions that make the audience feel something. It's like, well, isn't that what everyone's trying to make? It's like, yeah, but in my head, there's a distinction. Right, right. <laughs> I need to, I guess I need some help defining that. Because like, yeah. if I'm going to go talk to people and they're like, well, what kind of movies should we be looking for? What am I going to say? I don't know. Something that has a strong emotional core to it. I mean, but I mean, I don't know. Like <laughs> That's like most movies. <laughs> right. Well, that's what most movies are trying to do, whether or not they succeed. Um, right. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know how to help you, man. Like that's a, that's a tough one. I'm, I'm having a hard enough time trying to figure out what I'm going to say about my POV. You want to try it? Yeah. I'll give it a shot. I mean, I guess the, the thing that I keep on thinking about is, is just being engaging and engaging the audience, like in, in whatever story that I'm interested in or whatever film that I'd want to make, or when I read a script and like what I like about it or see a movie or what I like about it, it all starts with like an engaging character or an engaging scenario or engaging characters, like where you're just instantly drawn into what's going on on screen. Um, you know, and this goes across all genres, like whether it's a comedy or a drama or a science fiction or a horror. Like, I just want to be engaged by the people that we're putting the focus on for this story. That's what I mean. Like when I say like everything that you're putting on screen is important. Like I want everything that, that I put on screen to be engaging and like to be driving the story forward and driving the plot forward and making sure that you know, I'm satisfying on things that I set up earlier or delivering on the premise, I think is a really important thing to me. Like if a movie is supposed to be about something, like making sure that it's actually about that thing and not about something completely different, you know? And I think that that starts with the synopsis, but I think it's also what you see in the first, you know, 10, 10 minutes or, or even five minutes, like whatever you're setting up there you got to deliver on that later on, you know, mm -hmm. in that sense, I think that's sort of like what I want out of my POV is like just being engaging, you know, and engaging the audience and wrapping them up in my world so that they can really just experience the story I'm trying to tell. But I don't necessarily think that's like really, that's, that doesn't sound now that you say that to me, it doesn't sound specific enough. Right. So I know what, I know what you're saying. Right. That, this thing. is interesting. Cause I thought, Okay, this is I thought that it was going to this was going to be a lot easier at least to kind of figure out where our point of views are. It sounds like it is kind of important to know your point of view cuz yeah, if you're trying to describe to other people what kind of projects you want, like how can anybody find a project for you if they don't really understand what you're looking for? Right. And right now both of us are being like way too broad about it. Well, and I think in in that way like that's what it means when you're like, "Oh, I'm not, you know, genre specific." It's because the things that we want out of a story can be done in any story or any type of movie, right. you know? So it's, it's sort of like the way that I enjoy music. Like I don't just like one certain type of music. I like a lot of different types of music as long as it's good, you know, <laughs> so it's sort of like, yeah, but good is so subjective. I know so if somebody, so let's say, cause here's the, the example and, and I'll post, I found somebody talking about like what's the difference between filmmakers that make it and filmmakers that don't and it was somebody who had, had who had kind of like made it and he had a bunch of friends that didn't and he was talking about how people who understand their point of view and can communicate it to others are ones that can make it because they see a career path and then also if you're if you have an agent and your agent says well what kind of movie do you want to make and you're clearly able to say I'm I'm looking for stories about loneliness and uh, the loneliness that we feel like in our place in the universe. Then they immediately can look at a script and say, "Oh, wait, this this script has to do with that." So you know who'd be good with good for that is Timothy. Right. Whereas if it's just like, "Oh, I want to make emotional movies," every script they're going to read is kind of like, "Oh, this is this has emotional components." Uh, I guess this is good for Timothy. It's like, it's too broad. There's too many scripts that fall into it. So, right. So in this, in the example of, let's say you get an agent, Ulrich, mm. and they say, what kind of script should we help you find? What would you tell them? Uh, I would say like any kind of science fiction, horror, uh, mashup, you know, or some sort of sci-fi horror, um, you know, project or, Anything in the science fiction realm, uh, I would say time travel is, you know, I love time travel. Within that, I would say it, it needs to have 
strong characters and I'd probably say like a strong um, female lead because I'm really interested in telling stories with a strong uh, strong female characters so that's probably what I would say like a science fiction film or 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 a sci-fi horror film with a strong female lead would probably be like what I would say and I don't know if that's enough to give them to for them to find something you know I think so I think that that starts getting there for sure. I, th- I think that's sort of why I'm interested in sticking with the sci-fi horror genre right now is because that is an easy way to define myself as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of, it's tough because I'll read projects or, or hear about, Id- or even have ideas that don't fit into that genre. And it's like, well, should I pursue that? Even though it's not in the genre that I'm like <laughs> been working in for the last couple of years. And it's sort of like, well, yeah. maybe I should just do whatever the hell I want because that's the best way to, to be an artist is just to make the thing that actually speaks to you rather than forcing yourself in a different direction. Um, lucky for well, that's me. What's, that's what's interesting is then you like the more things you make, the more there becomes like a brand for what you do. Yeah. And how important is that brand? And do you need to worry about that brand and follow that brand? I mean, I, I've been I've been acting and living th- that I have to follow a brand and that the brand is very important. That's sort of like what I've been trying to do for the last couple of years, basically since I made Strange Thing, is like just sort of build up this sci-fi horror brand that I'm that I've been working in. Um, but I think in the end, you just need to make good movies, you know. And if it can fit in your brand in some way or some form, I think that's that's fine but i don't think you need to limit yourself to one genre just because that makes it easier for people to define you you know but i I don't know i mean maybe maybe you should i don't know i i don't know the answer to that question i just know that i'm just gonna follow my heart and do whatever work on whatever speaks the strongest to me you know and, and is the the loudest in my my head or in my heart you know let's think about some other filmmakers and try to define like how do you break down what a point of view is comprised of because i think genre is like the easiest thing to to attach yourself to with point of view but i think it's also kind of the weakest because it doesn't doesn't give you uh, a range um but if you look at somebody like let's say christopher nolan what what is his point of view what is his point of view i mean i don't know like that how how could you even answer that question i mean you have to <laughs> study all his movies and like figure out what they're all about and then from there you can figure out what his point of view is so you think it's like a thematic thing i don't know but i mean i think a lot of his movies have different themes so how can you even say that for 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 sure you know like it's just that's just a really I don't know. I I I would say, you know, just kind of thinking about some of the movies that popped into my head like Memento and Inception. Um he's into mind-bending science fiction movies. Mm-hmm. Something like that or mind-bending storytelling with a science fiction bent. Mhm. I think mind bending for sure, but like not all his movies are science fiction based, you know, like Insomnia or even right. um what was which was the there was those two uh magician movies that came out at the same time. What was his right. called? Uh The Prestige. His, the Prestige, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean that's got a little bit of science fiction in it, but like, you know, it's it's mostly like this kind of weird fantasy drama, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, I mean, I think that's a probably pretty good like way. Like he's he, he always is trying to do something that questions the way that you th- you think about the world and sort of twist twist things in a way, you know, so you see things differently. But is that enough to define a POV? Like I don't know, maybe. I th- well, I think if you're kind of trying to, I think it's trying to explain what you're looking for. So that way people can help you find it. I think that would be enough for people to go through like a bunch of scripts and log lines and be like, oh, this one's kind of mind bending here. Here, uh, Christopher Nolan, read this script called Sixth Sense. You might like this. Right. Well, it's funny. Like I look at this question here, like how do you define your POV? And then the next one, like where does this POV come from? How did it form? I kind of feel like more, more like less than of an overall sense of POV, but more story by story based. Like, where does your point of view come that that would, you know, incite you to make a movie like Man's Best Friend, for example, 
or the spirit machine like where do those stories come from like why would you make a movie like that you know like that that to me is like the more interesting part or the more interesting way to look at that question you know Mm -hmm. because just trying to find define your pov and it's such a broad sense i think is so difficult and i i don't even know what that means in the end you know yeah but now that we've asked the question i'm like so fascinated with trying to figure out what the answer is because i think it's going to be very helpful for us to and we don't have to define it on this episode but eventually we're going to need to know because as we get out there into the world and people ask us what kind of things we're looking for i think we need to have a clear answer and you uh, very well pointed out that my answer is too broad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you, if I'm looking at some of the films I've made and where they came from, I mean, Man's Best Friend is about a guy who misses somebody and that feeling of loneliness is definitely there. Mm. Um, the whole <laughs> idea for that film came from just like uh, an idea me and my friend were throwing around about like, what what is love mm-hmm. like does is love like something real and tangible or can it be kind of programmed because in in context of how we we're talking about it was can you program a machine to mimic the emotions of love so that way somebody else believed that that machine loved them hmm. and i really wanted to make that script but i didn't have access to robots or visual effects so then my friend said well how could we make that story in like today's world? I said, the closest thing I can think of is a dog. And he's like, that's, that's great. Do that. That's interesting. So loneliness and love is that one spirit machine. It's about a girl who misses her mom. Her mom's dead. There's the whole lonely loneliness aspect of it. Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. And then loan is there. It says it all. Yeah. (laughs) Even before man's best friend, I made a movie called the lost coast. That was about, our insignificance in the universe and it was these two guys that were camping out on the lost coast and there's a lot of shots of them just like from very far away like looking really small and tiny and um yeah i'm like i'm really fascinated with this idea of being kind of around people on planet earth but at the same time like super insignificant and that nothing that we do really matters because of how insignificant we are in in, like the scheme of things that's really interesting. I mean, I think that's more, <laughs> that's more, that's, of a, more of my that's your point, point of view. view. Yeah. That's like yeah. a much clearer point of view than that. I think I could even say, you know, from, from what I've done. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really interested, I guess, in the unknown, you know, and I've always been interested in like the world that we can't see and like, what's like pulling, pulling the veil to see something new that, that we didn't know was there. You know, so I think that's sort of part of my point of view. And I mean, that can be seen in in my two two short films in in varying degrees. You know, there's something mysterious underneath uh, the what's on the surface, you know? Yeah, I think that's why I mean, you and I became friends was because of that common theme in our movies is that, yeah, the power of the unknown, like even in man's best friend that's there. It's love. What is love? Love is this intangible thing. And I'm trying to like lift the veil back and show it in a different context. But you know, all my movies definitely deal with that too. Like portals to other universes is a great example. Yeah. Um, You know, thing that things that are unseen. Yeah. I think that's probably another thing I would say to an agent, you know, like uh, anything that involves portals and other dimensions, like sign me up, you know, (laughs) right. Or alternate travel, alternate universes, you know, time travel, (laughs) all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I think it's like what we both try to do is take real world people and characters and put them into an extraordinary situation. Oh, absolutely. And so it is like, because I, and this is why my favorite author is Haruki Murakami, is because he kind of does that where it's almost like there's another plane of existence that we can't see. And every once in a while, like, are those two worlds collide? And it's where those two worlds collide that I'm really interested in. And that, that goes back to like ET, where it's like just this normal boy growing up in the suburbs and his world colliding with an alien that's on our planet. No, it's totally cool. 
I mean, and that's that's kind of why I want to make the alternate so much is because it, 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 it does a lot of those things. And I think it makes you think about life in a different way. Because um, when you see a character react to this this crazy situation and the way he treats this opportunity, you know, is way different than I think what a lot of people would do. Or maybe it's similar. I don't know. But I mean, I think it's fun to play around with those ideas and, and see how the audience reacts. So where where did this POV come from? Like, why are you interested in this kind of stuff? Um, I don't know. I think it's probably because when I was young, um, my, my parents always like encouraged that, you know, like they never told me like ghosts aren't real or you know, there is no Easter bunny or whatever. Like even when I was old enough and it was time to like just say that, Oh, like, well, Santa Claus isn't actually real. Like he's not the one putting the presents under the tree or whatever. The way they described it to me was that like the spirit of Santa Claus is real. Like there is a real Santa Claus spirit, even though he's (laughs) not physically real. So they Mm -hmm. always like encourage this idea of like this spiritual world, that exists around us, you know, and, uh, when I was a kid, like there's a couple of times where I saw, or I thought I saw a ghost, my dad didn't say, Oh, you didn't see anything. They, they said, Oh yeah, you did. You did see a ghost. I wonder what they were doing there. Like, Oh, what did it look like? And like kind of encouraged that in me. And so I think it started when I was a young kid and it never went away. And I still kind of believe in that stuff. And, you know, I don't really discount anything, you know, just because I don't know, like, I'm not going to pretend that I understand everything that goes or go, happens around me, you know, and who's, who am I to say that it's not true? You know, what age did you, did you start watching like horror movies and sci-fi movies? Oh man. Probably when I was like five, probably what was your favorite. Like Star one. Star Wars and and Star Trek, I think were my favorites. You know the original Star Trek, uh, Next Generation. That was what we. we oh, that was the one God. thing that we could watch. Like when when I was really young and our bedtime was like you know nine nine o'clock or whatever. The only way that we would get to stay up till ten is if we watched Star Trek with my mom. <laughs> so that was our yeah. our one thing uh, that my mom would let us stay up for. So I always loved Star Trek and I always loved Star Wars. And then, I mean, Back to the Future, I fell in love with at a very early age. And I think like we're the same way that E.T. is your movie that you have a really strong connection to. Like the Back to the Future series is, is the movies I have a really strong connection to. It's interesting. My spiritual background is very different from your spiritual background. Right. Like mine's very religious based. Mm. So my dad was a United Methodist minister. So I, had, I like wow. grew up in the church so there's always kind of aspects of spirituality and kind of like the the things that you can't see i mean like you know this when you're a kid and you're trying to like wrap your head around the idea of like god and jesus and like the spirit like that stuff is like definitely ingrained in my head and when i think about the kind of like horror movies i like and that i liked even as a kid they're usually always more of like the paranormal uh ghost haunting spiritual things like those ones were the ones that scared me the most because they seemed the most real yeah especially if they had like a religious bent to them yeah the the exorcist was the scariest movie i ever saw it kept me up for nights oh i can imagine because i just thought oh that's real that shit's real yeah spirits can get inside you and yeah i mean it was scary that belief in the world you can't see definitely melded with kind of like how the kind of stories that I ended up gravitating towards as a kid. Yeah. To, yeah. Love that kind of stuff. And yeah. then I also, I would also think about death a lot. Oh yeah. Definitely like sit in bed thinking about how, what it was going to be like after like I died and <laughs> the, the feeling of nothingness. And I think that, that those are like powerful feelings. Yeah. And those things, I think it's kind of, in some ways, the stories that we choose to tell are reflections of our psyche and like what things that we're still trying to just grapple with. And I think the what if questions or the things, the unknown that we can't really put a definition to are, are fascinating subjects because there are no answers. And it's fun to kind of play around and try to create answers for those. Yeah. Things. I love the idea of creating your own like sort of mythology through a movie, you know, and, and like setting up your own alternate reality or alternate world where these things are actually real or 
ghosts exist or whatever. Like, uh, was it the frightening? Was that what it was called with, uh, Michael J. Fox, uh, frighteners, the frighteners. Yeah. I mean, I love that movie. I didn't see that until I was a little bit older, but I thought that was a really fun one. Because it's just this whole idea that, like, ghosts are real and the way that he interacts with ghosts. I just think that's so cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And, of course, Ghostbusters. I mean, geez, you know? Like, that. <laughs> that that's a movie that I think a lot of people just really reacted to, obviously. <laughs> yeah. there. I don't know what it is about that movie that is just so infectious. Like, what kid hasn't, like, put a vacuum on their back and, like, ran around with a hose pretending to catch ghosts? There's just something so cool about that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, do you want to talk more about uh, filmmaker and brand and what that means? Or do we talk about that enough, do you think? We talked about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have much to say about it. I think it's interesting, this this quote that I found from David Fincher about brand, because I think as a filmmaker, I think David Fincher has a really strong brand. Oh, yeah. Like, I see his movies and like every single one of his movies like fits into this David Fincher world. So it's interesting to hear him say, like, you can't take everything on. That's why when people ask, how does this film fit into my oeuvre? I say, I don't know. I don't think in those terms. If I did, I might become incapacitated by fear. How do you eat a whale? One bite at a time. How do you shoot a 150-day movie? You shoot it one day at a time. So I think what he's saying here is you you can't really choose how everything's going to build up into a resume. Um, it's it's hard for you to anticipate what's next and how it's all going to fit together, and you just you just focus on one film at a time. And I think by accident he's created a brand for himself, but it's not by any design of his own. Right. It's just because he's always just been true to himself and told the stories that he's wanted to tell in the way that he wants to tell them, and then that just naturally creates the David Fincher brand. You know. Yeah. But it also says here. I mean, there's no direct quote, but in this article it said. Fincher has spoken on multiple occasions about his brand and his dislike for being branded, and he hates it when marketing departments put from director director David Fincher on posters. That's funny. It is funny, and it I I think I mean I don't know because I don't I haven't really talked to a lot of people about my reel, but I see the similarities between all my movies, even though they play in different genres and I think have very different stories, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that's coming across to people and that's not by design at all. That's just kind of based on the things that I like, um, the visual style that I always go after, but it's definitely not something that I'm striving for. So yeah. I, can, I can definitely relate to it. I, I think anyone who thinks about brand, I mean, who, I wonder who does think about that. Well, everyone's told to, especially in the entrepreneurial world. Like that's the whole thing is like, what's your brand? Stay true to your brand. And I think it's seeping into filmmaking too. Like I've heard other filmmakers and actors talk about brand and what their brand Mm -hmm. is and, you know, putting themselves out into the world in a certain way. And even like thinking about like what roles they take into their brand, you know, and like, does that fit my brand being this character? And I don't know, is that important? Maybe. I mean, I think, I think it's definitely easier for people to put you in a box is, and that's kind of what people want to do, especially Hollywood. Well, it's easier for people to sell you. Yeah, exactly. Like you think about somebody like Eli Roth, if you just put a film by Eli Roth on it, like I immediately know what kind of film that is. And that's how strong it is. Yeah, but maybe that's bad in the, in the end, because maybe if Eli Roth wants to make a movie that isn't like his other movies, then people won't won't necessarily see it or the audience will come for that movie and then expecting a different type of movie well yeah that's where Bran can get you in trouble like let's say he wanted to go make do a remake of a Shakespeare play I, I think he'd have a hard time selling that yeah unless he Eli Roth it you know <laughs> just <laughs> right. really did up the blood and stuff <laughs> you know uh, but at the same time he probably has such a strong brand because that's what he really, really likes. Yeah. Like those are the kind of movies he likes. So I think he probably just doesn't have an interest in going off brand. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I think I was been thinking a lot about brand lately and, and it's funny, like, you know, with this comedy, you know, coming into my life in some way, it's sort of, I, I'm sort of daring to break out of the brand that I've started to create for myself just because, you know, I want to I want to make movies like this one day, and and if this is the right time to make it, like why should I deny myself just because I've been trying to create a brand? 
Well, does this movie deal with the unknown? Yeah, in ways, in a lot different ways, you know. And maybe it's not as far off brand as you think it is. More, more in like the 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 you know terms of relationships and growing up, you know, and and what it means to be a man, you know, it sort of deals with those ideas more. And like, what it what does it mean to be successful? And the answer it gives is is really interesting, you know. And I, I think based on my talks with the writer, like not everyone likes it, but I do, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and I just read this movie and I was just like, man, this thing has to be made. And to, to hear from him and from other people that they didn't have that strong of a reaction to it as I did sort of makes me think like if, if I don't do it, maybe, it, maybe no one else will, you know? So I, I, I should strive and, and make this thing happen because it, it really does deserve to be out into the world. And I think it will resonate with a lot of people and, and it's really funny on top of all those things too. All right, what else do we have to talk about here? <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got down here. Yeah. I think that was great. Oh, I wanted to talk about uh what I have to share. I haven't told you about this yet. I don't think I've ever even mentioned this to you, but uh <laughs> yeah. years ago I made a documentary about um my friend's band that he had for like maybe uh, a year or two and they did one show and I made this little documentary uh, just about them preparing for their first and only gig. And then, uh, you know, I sent it out to film festivals. I got rejected from everybody. I got a couple honorable mentions, but the reason why I got rejected was because it was freaking 40 minutes long. Wow. It was a 40 minute long documentary short, which is like the dumbest thing to make in the whole world. And uh, everybody told me so, but I just said, no, no, no. Like, this is the length it has to be to be good. Like, I'm not going to cut it down. And so I let it sit for years. It's maybe like three years since I finished it. And then I uh, recut it, made it 30 minutes long. And uh, I want to release it online today. So, what? Today? Yeah, today it's going to go online when this podcast airs the Monday uh, that this is put on. Uh, naturally gifted athletes it's a band will be on my vimeo page for everybody to watch i don't know how many people are going to watch it but it's a fun little quirky documentary and i don't know i'm gonna i'm curious to see how many people it reaches if any you know it's lived in the darkness for too long it it's has to come see the light of day it needs to get out there man like you know their band is has been defunct for years and years and the music is out on online um so i just figured the the, the movie should be too and now everyone can see it and discover it and love it or hate it you know <laughs> well that's cool yeah I, I'll be honest. I don't know if I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Well, watch the first five minutes, and if it if it if it speaks to you, then finish it. <laughs> okay. I'll I'll take that challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty minutes. That's kind of intimidating. Oh my god. Thirty minutes. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, have, that's a whole reason, lunch I, break. <laughs> you know. I have a hard time watching stuff on my computer. Oh really? Yeah. Even short films. Even things like that are five minutes long. I, I'm definitely like of an older generation where I feel like I need to watch things on my TV. Oh, that's I funny. need to like make it a point of like using my airplay at home to like stream things onto my TV. So I watch more stuff. Yeah. Well you can watch it on Vimeo through airplay, you know, on your TV. Yeah. There you go. I'll do that. Done I'll and do done. That. What about you? Do you have anything to share? Just want to talk about over my dead body some more. No, I'm so sick of that movie. What? I, I still love it. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm actually, I'm so exhausted of promoting it. I I just I need to take a break, so I'll take a break today. Okay. If you want um, to see an older, since we're sharing older pieces, you want to see a, an older piece by me. If you search "The Lost Coast" and Timothy Plain in Google, the second link is to shooting people where that movie lives. Oh yeah, you can, you can go watch it. Wow, cool! It's actually got. 1900 views and i have no idea how that happened awesome um but yeah it's an older an older film definitely it was an experiment i i don't really show it to people because i always just kind of chalked it up to like trying to figure out mainly i was trying to figure out how much backstory you can show through the way actors act and not huh. through dialogue. So it's like very ambiguous, like what's going on in this movie. And I wrote the script that way on purpose. And then I created a huge backstory and subtext with my actors. 
and then tried to transmit all that information through their performance. And I'll just tell you, it didn't work. Huh. If it's not on the page, it's not on the screen. They always tell you that. And that, and that's what I learned is huh. that unless you say it, it doesn't really exist. That's I mean, funny. I had a very detailed story about who these characters were and none of it comes across. It's, it's confused. It's a confusing movie. Well, I will watch that for sure. And I'll put it in the show notes so people don't have to hunt and peck for it. <laughs> oh, that's right. So go check out our new website, makingmoviesishard.com. Oh, yeah. And subscribe to our show notes. We'll send it to you every week when the episode goes live. You get all the links to the things we're talking about. You get a link to the episode if you aren't already subscribed to it on iTunes. It'll be a nice little reminder so you don't have to be reminded on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, and um, then, and then you can leave comments, share your thoughts, meet other filmmakers, and uh, you know it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, we really want people to come and hang out with us there. No one seems to want to do that yet, but one of these days. T- Timothy and I, we're just commenting on e- each post that goes up <laughs> in hopes that somebody will start talking to us. Uh, right. It's, it's kind of like two girls holding the double Dutch jump ropes, and we're just sitting there like swinging them back and forth and hoping that somebody will jump in and start hopping. Yeah, that's that's perfect. I love that visual. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess let's take. I'll take us out here. Um, so thanks for listening. And in addition to the makingmoviesishard.com website, you can also find us on iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review on either of those places. We love reviews. We love to hear what people think. Um, and then you can also send us an email at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com and we'll talk about it on the show. So if you have a question, a comment, a thought, you want to suggest a topic, whatever it is, you can send us, send that through an email and we'll, uh, we'll take a look at it. I still think you should find us on Twitter at <laughs> MMIH podcast. And then I'm at Ulrich B and Timothy Plain. Where are you, man? I'm at Timothy Plain. All right. Well, thanks very much, Timothy, for a great episode. And thank you all for listening. It was a good good episode this week, I think. Yeah. Thanks, Ulrich. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.